Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Uh, thanks, everybody, for, for showing up. Uh, appreciate it. My name is Luke Gygax. Um, fortunate enough to be a guest here at Tucson Comic Con for the first time this year. Uh, I've met a lot of great gamers and having a good time, so thank you for the hospitality. Um, there's some seats up here in the front, sir, if you want to. I'm just messing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I always hate that when you sit in the back and feel like, you can sit up here. I don't want to sit up here. I want to sit back there. All right, I'll feel important. I'll be up here. That's right. I gotta do practice return. All right. My age, I might pull attention doing that. Well. So, all right. All right. So, uh, kind of agenda of what I'm going to talk about today. It's growing up, guy gags. I, you know, my my father um, created Dungeons and Dragons. Co-creator of Dungeons and Dragons. Created that in 1974. Prior to that, he was a war gamer. And you know, created war games and rules variants and stuff like that for a niche community, really small community. There were war gamers, um, but he was popular. He was kind of well known in that. Um, but D and D was obviously a huge cultural phenomenon, right? That's changed the world. Um, so, he, for me, with my dad, right, when he passed away, I didn't really realize uh, how important it was to, especially to other people, how influential he was in, in people's lives. Uh, and I'm guessing he was influential. Dungeons and Dragons influential in your lives because you're here now uh, listening to me talk, right? Um, but I didn't really realized that. So when he passed away, people would start asking, "What was it like?" Even before he died, honestly, honestly, what was it like growing up in his household? Well, it was normal, right? <laughs> so I didn't have much to much to base it on. But I've gotten that question answered enough that I did a little thought. Like, was it that much different? What was it that was different about my upbringing than other folks? Was it substantially different or not? And, and so I figured, why not do a presentation, get a chance to talk about it a little bit, what it was like growing up in my household, some of the fun stuff that we did, some of the background about my dad, some things that people might not know about, and then <clears throat> give you my conclusion to it and field your questions. But I guess it's important. I'd like to hear from you guys. Hey, what questions do you guys have? What would you like to know? Uh, so my agenda is kind of just introduce myself a little bit, uh, talk about what makes D&D special, at least in my estimation. Who was Gary Gygax, and how did he come up with creating this role-playing game? Uh, what was the status of my family when he created the game? You know, what, what was it like? What was our lives like? Talk a little bit about the rise of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, what was, and then kind of, you know, what was the same? What was unusual between maybe me and you and your lifestyle? Uh, and then time for questions, you guys. So that's kind of an overview of what what I'd like to talk about today. Uh, a little bit about myself. <clears throat> uh, I am a retired Army officer. I retired last year. Yeah, cool, right? Absolutely. <laughs> was not airborne. I was a leg for a little while. I went to airborne school. Uh, perfectly good airplane. Why would I jump out of that? Plus, my knees hurt already, so I'm glad I didn't jump out of airplanes. That's been, that's been extra bad. I've been crippled up a little bit more so. Uh, I'm a role-playing uh, game uh, author, uh, husband and father of three daughters, who you can meet my wife and daughter in the, in the gaming area, if you haven't seen them there, and also Grogu, my, my, my dog. Uh, and I'm a convention organizer. Uh, when my dad passed away in 2008, um, really what I was, it, that was a real, that was a, a life-changing moment for me in, in lots of ways. If you've lost a parent, you know that's just something that kind of changes your perspective in life. So if you've got your parents, Still, you know, make sure you call them, give them a hug, tell them you love them. Uh, <clears throat> that's just a good thing to do, in my estimation. Go ahead and take that opportunity. Um, <clears throat> but there was this massive outpouring 
uh, from people around the globe um, that messaged us and wrote, or I was uh, in recruiting at the time, and uh, people called my phone, like senior officers and stuff, and I answered, because I'm in recruiting, you're gonna answer your phone, right? Even though it's you know the day like probably back. Um, and they were like, oh, I didn't expect you to answer the phone, but I just wanted to tell you how important this was, and I'm really sorry for your loss, you know, you shaped who I was and you know, kind of my future or my, my path in life. And I heard this over and over again, and I was like, wow, okay, that's, I didn't realize this. And people even said, I am going to drive to Lake Geneva. Well, I did not know the man, but I'm going to drive to Lake Geneva to pay my respects. I was like, man, what are we going to do when people show up? You know, they can't really come to the funeral. It's a small private affair. I thought, well, what did dad love to do so much in life is play games with people. And where were some of my fondest memories was in a little tiny place, the American Legion Hall in Lake Geneva. And we would, as a kid, I'd go there and play games. And it was just awesome. Everyone would like, let me walk up to the table and explain a game to me and I could sit down and, and play. You know, if I was like six, seven, eight years old. Uh, but I thought, well, this would be a great place to remember dad. So I rented out the place. My brothers and sisters brought dishes to pass. And we just had a really nice time. Uh, people played games, we had a DD cartoon playing, we had a podium set up, so if someone wanted to share a story about my dad, they could. And uh, but it was so so much fun uh, that afterwards, uh, well, fun. It, it was fun. We were celebrating his life. You know, I mean, a death is sad, but it's also remembering what they did, right? I think that helps keep people alive in a way. It's to memorialize them. And, you know, I think the more people who remember you and keep your name alive um, on their on their lips, you know, it, it speaks to the kind of person that you were and the impact you made in the world. Uh, and Jolly, uh, I was there with Jolly Blackburn and, and Harold, Harold Johnson worked for my dad years and years ago. And Harold said, hey, it's really fun, Luke, you should do it every year. And Jolly Blackburn, who's the author of Nights of Eve, writes and illustrates Nights of the Dinner Table, which is a little comic book, if you've ever seen that. He said, hey, you can call it GaryCon. I had no idea that that was, <clears throat> Gary Jackson was a figure in in their world, it was kind of mixed. My dad and Steve Jackson, and Gary Gary Con was their Gen Con essentially in the in the comic book. Uh, so I said, okay. So I so I did the following year. I rented the same place. I just threw a game day. I had no idea, if, you know, fifty people would show up or, or what. Like about one hundred seventy five people showed up, <laughs> and we played games and had a good time. Uh, but because gamers are good people in in general, they wouldn't let me. They weren't okay with me paying for it. So they held a little auction, and people just started auctions. I mean, Jolly Blackburn drew sketches, you know, uh, Tim Cass pulled out, you know, something in his bag and auctioned it off. And I ended up with like $400 more than I'd spent. I wasn't going to put that in my pocket, so I had to start a company and make GaryCon more of a thing, and now it's grown to about 3,000 people. And we're going to hold GaryCon 16 in Lake Geneva, March 21st, 24th. <clears throat> so if you're interested in coming to Lake Geneva, where the game was written, and hanging out with uh, a lot of the past and present um, important figures in, in gaming, anywhere from, like I mentioned, you know, Tim Casker, Jim Ward, all the way to you know Mike Morales and, and you know plenty of other folks. Uh, they're there. You can go to the website GaryCon.com and kind of see who our guests are. Uh, search it, do some reviews, whatever. Ask your friends. I think it's worth going to. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so that's I, I, I organized that convention. Um, so that, that's kind of what. What I've been doing since I retired, I've taken to writing and convention organizing full time. And believe it, or, I don't know how I did it while I was in there. This <laughs> is a lot of work, man. Uh, it, it is. It's a ton of work. Yeah. If you're organizing a convention, yeah, give, give them a round of applause because uh, seriously, and you don't get enough thank yous, right? But, but if something goes wrong, everybody knows you get. When it goes right. Usually, just uh, the the reward you get most of the time is seeing people smiling faces, right? Yeah. It, yeah. That's it. That's well, really that's the, the real reward. It is. It is. That's that's what keeps you coming back because throughout the year, yeah. you may just have like oh, moments where your blood is boiling or whatever's going to just want to beat your head against the wall. But the Sunday when you're walking around and you see all the smiling faces, totally makes it worthwhile. Um, all right. So, what makes D and D special? Why is this game, you know, more impactful than chess or you know, poker? Uh, I think we take a lot of what Dungeons and Dragons brought uh, into gaming for granted now, especially if you're a little younger, because it's always been there for you, right? I grew up with it. I've never not known this stuff. I just happen to be 
close enough to it where I put some thought to it. So it's a revolutionary game. It is a brand new genre of gaming. It's the first new game genre that was invented in, I don't know, a thousand years or more, right? All these other games existed. You had card games, you have dice games, you have uh, you know, board games, you have war games, etc. D&D um, has no board. There's no map, there's no boundaries. Your only limitation is your imagination. That's revolutionary. Think about it. You play a game of Monopoly. You can't decide to roll the dice and go sideways off the map, can you? Right? Can you move the wrong way around the map? Can you go teleport across kitty corners? No, there's a prescribed way where you go around the map, and that's how it works. You're limited by it. That's, that is your boundaries. You can't go to the next city over or whatever it is. Um, it is cooperative instead of competitive. I think this one's really huge. This, this, this changes stuff. Every other game, winners and losers, right? You're playing Risk, you're gonna play all the way to the painful, slow end of that game. I don't know why I played this one as a kid. Back and forth, back and forth, until someone is crushed, and you can stamp on their throats, and you are the victor, and you've killed them all, right? That's it. So that's a very different mindset than Dungeons & Dragons, where essentially, in just about every game, unless you're you know, some commodities, you are working together as a team to overcome challenges that are put in front of you. And you rely on the people around that table, right, to support your actions, or you're supporting their actions, and you all rise or fall together, right? And if something happens to you, your friends, that's what they become, your friends, right, are on the table, they're gonna help you out. So that's a very different mindset, and I think that teaches us things about life, and gives us certain attitudes and skill sets uh, that changes who, how you look at the world. Uh, the idea of progressive advancement. So this is common now. When you see birthday cards that are not for gamers, and it talks about leveling up, right? <laughs> Happy level up day. But where did that come from? It came from D&D, right? When you're playing various games, you'll see level, leveling up, you see armor class, hit points, all these sorts of things that are kind of just taken for granted. No one, no one thinks about where they came from. But it's pervasive in, throughout, throughout culture. Um, <clears throat> that's revolutionary. When you're playing Monopoly, let's say you win Monopoly, and you're the shoot. The next time you get out the, the game, you open it up, you say, okay, I'm the shoe, I get a plus one on all my die rolls because I won last time. <laughs> no, you don't, right? You just start it again. So like, listen, you set it up the exact same way and you play it. You don't continue the game on. There's no, I'm gonna make super structures on these hotels now or whatever it is, that's it. It's like the game's done. There's no, it's not a continuing saga. In Dungeons and Dragons, there is no end. Right, you decide when it's going to end. Uh, and you get to progress in levels, progress over time, build your character. Right? Uh, and I basically touched that. There's no set end or victory condition. Monopoly, you wipe out everybody else, put the game away, get it out again. Risk, same thing. Draw some cards, set up, same step. Settlers of Khan, same. Okay. D&D, you make your own, you decide when you're going to stop. Or TDK. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so D and D and oh, all right, get some mood lighting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right, now we all just died. Okay, there we go. Well, it's so funny because the engineers I just walked out. <laughs> yes, yeah, maybe that's maybe it's got your segue. I do. I I'm going to need a segue. I'm getting a little right on the segue. Oh, see, look at that. Oh, all right, well, let's see if we got some. Yeah, that's our agenda. Some pictures, but you actually get to see my kids here and my dog, so that's probably the best part of there. You can see a young me as a young infantryman up there, and a little bit older logistics officer in Iraq on that side. I know I sell stuff now, so you can go to my booth and buy some things. I should probably tell you that too. That's a good thing. Alright, what makes DD special? Well, there you go. Uh, oh, funny shaped dice, right? Funny shaped dice existed prior to DD. But man, are they more prevalent now, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. But there were funny shaped dice beforehand. I think there's even, I think someone found an icosahedron or 20 sided die you know, that, uh, from Egypt mm -hmm. thousands of years ago. I don't know what they used it for. Uh, 
Maybe they're playing D&D. Maybe we rediscovered it. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Maybe they came from the aliens. It's ancient aliens. What do you think? <laughs> Could be the reason. Ancient aliens brought D&D down, uh, got lost, and it's rediscovered. Sounds like a good story. All right. All right, so D&D and, and RPGs are really entrenched. Um, they're entrenched in our culture at this point. Um, if you think about it, what, you know, what was like one of the biggest shows that's been on, on TV in the past I guess probably been five years ago now, something like that. I mean, Game of Thrones, right? George R. R. Martin is a nerd. He's a gamer like us, right? And that's why he wrote that. Now, I'm still angry at George because he killed all the good guys. <laughs> I stopped reading stupid little, books. Yeah, I stopped reading. He makes me mad. <laughs> he never finished the books. Oh, he never finished. That's right. That's right. I was happy when D.B. Weiss kind of took over and kind of wrapped it up, right? Dan did a nice job. The Red Wedding. The Red Wedding was, oh, oh man, I was so mad when I read that. So great storyteller, right? Because I was, I cared. I cared. So hats off in that regard, right? Uh, I really like Ned Stark. Oh, so spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> I thought he was going to be the king. <laughs> I know. I was like, okay, I see where this is going. No, no, it didn't go that way. I was like, okay, this one time, I get it. Okay, now I'm invested. I'm invested. And then, yeah, that was it. When, when all the good guys are getting killed, I was like, I'm just, I'm done with you. Uh, but yeah, video games. Video games, multiple billion dollar industry, right? Way bigger than tabletop gaming, right? Huge. And uh, World of Warcraft was was a giant one. Elder Scrolls, I mean, Zeb, I don't know if you guys know who Zeb Cook is. David Cook, Zeb Cook, you heard him? So he did second edition D&D. He just retired from the company that does Elder Scrolls. So I can't remember. Okay, there it is, yeah. So he retired there. Keith, Keith Baker <laughs> worked for Zeb Cook when he was first there too. So Zeb, uh, Keith Baker uh, created Eberron. So he's another game designer, a nice guy. Uh, but there's tons of guys. Ed, Ed, uh, Ed Stark as well uh, worked for TSR and did D&D stuff and now works in video games. So a lot, tons of crossover. Lauren Schick is another one who's never really, really indie player. But they took stuff from tabletop and went into this new environment of video games, right? And of course, the blueprints, you know, the DNA, the structure of RPGs is all over video games. Um, you know, I don't know if J.K. Rowling played D&D, but she sure as heck helped, uh, you know, benefited from an audience uh, that was more receptive to fantasy and sci-fi and that sort of thing, right? And boy, oh boy, kids today are all about <laughs> magic and wizards and spells and wands and stuff like that. A lot of that's due to, you know, the pervasive, uh, you know, major authors um, and how pervasive fantasy is. I talked about uh, Game of Thrones, and then guys who are like my age, who <coughs> grew up playing D&D, reflect on their upbringing, right? Mm -hmm. And they write stuff like Stranger Things, <laughs> which appeals to everybody. What a great show. Man, I love that. And to me, obviously, they're not obviously I, mean, I, I don't know. This is my take on it. I don't think it's controversial, but someone can debate me on it. I think these kids play D&D, so how do they envision something they don't understand that's supernatural, right? Or, to them, supernatural. They envision it in terms of Dungeons and Dragons. That resonated with me, because they're not fighting Demogorgon, like, you know, seeing the two, two baboon heads and that sort of stuff, right? It's not like flames and stuff. It's some sort of weird, kooky, you know, psychic uh, issue, right? Um, but for me, I grew up, you know, someone called me Patient Zero for Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I, my earliest memories are playing D&D. I have no reference to uh, a time when I didn't know about Dungeons & Dragons, which coincidentally makes me an awful teacher for Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> Ask my wife, because she'll be like, I'll be explaining stuff to her, and she's like, what's that? And I'm like, what do you, I get frustrated very easily. Like, what do you mean you have to say throw? What do you <laughs> or I <laughs> made replica dice that look like the you can barely see them up there. There's the five die set that that was kind of first introduced through Dungeons and Dragons uh, creative publications dice. There were five different colors. There was a yellow four sider, a kind of orange six sider, a green D8, a blue D12, and a white twenty sided die. But that twenty sided die was numbered zero to nine two times. Whereas you're probably used to seeing a 20-sider that's one to 20, right? 
well, for some reason, whatever reason, it was it was not created for Dungeons and Dragons. It was just a die that existed, right? And it was zero to nine foot. So you would take a marker and color in half of it, or you would take a six sider. You would roll it with that die. Uh, one, two, or three on the six sider. You just read the number on the die. If you got a four, five, or six on that d6, you added ten to the score on the on the white die, twenty sider. So I created those dice exactly as is, stuck in a tube and sold them. People would message me and be like, hey, uh, I think your dice are defective. <laughs> <laughs> I've been rolling it for like three games. I was wondering, like, why am I, I can't get any I can't succeed on a single thing. I'm like, these dice suck. They're horrible. And I realized there is no, no 11 through 19 or whatever. I was like, you got to roll a control die. You know, sport, you know, I'm thinking like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? He doesn't know that. And I realized, uh-oh. My frame of reference was very different than everybody else's. So what I took is obvious, because I was taught that from when I was knee high. It was not intuitive, right? So I need to put the instruction sheet in there or whatever. So frame of reference is funny. Uh, but yeah, so I'm patient zero, so <clears throat> I've grown up with DD. Stranger things, I totally get what they're doing. They're picturing something they they're picturing their world through DD. I picture my world through DD. When I see somebody who's abrasive to work with. I think they have a low charisma, negative, <laughs> negative reaction adjustment. Right? You know, that's that's kind of how I how I think about them. Or I think your your strength, like you know, okay, well, I wonder what my strength is now since I can military press X amount over my head. You know, so, am I up to a thirteen? Yeah, thirteen. Where am I? Right? Pretty soon I'm gonna get a plus one damage. All right, good. Yeah, so that's a pretty weird thing to think, right? <laughs> but it, it's kind of how I do like work. I look at me political actions or nations or countries, and I'll think of them in alignments, right? Or how are they doing things? Well, okay, you know, from their perspective, this is how they're, they're seeing it. I call them maybe like a lawful evil way of doing doing things. You know, strong will survive. If you can, might make right, but you work through a process, right? Um, and another fun thing uh, that we really didn't see much of is, in DD is it is now cool to play Dungeons and Dragons. Right? <laughs> that was not cool. I did not tell the girls in high school <laughs> I played D&D. &D. <laughs> that was not cool. It was not cool. This is, uh, if you've seen the movie called Revenge of the Nerds, anyone? <laughs> okay. All right. It was so filmed here at the U of A. Oh, yeah? Revenge yeah. of the Nerds was filmed okay. here. Great Tucson. movie. Yeah. A lot of fun. I mean, it probably wouldn't be. Yeah, for the time. <laughs> you got to take it. In, yeah, in, yeah, you do. Right. You got to take it in context of the time. If you're showing younger viewers, I would show my daughters, they'd be like, what the heck is this? It's like, wow, these are terrible ideas. I would just say. But the one thing that got kind of really correct was there were cool kids, and those were like jocks and preps, right? The preppy ones and that sort of thing. And then you had your nerds, who tend to be a little bit more cerebral, right? But they, you'd get picked on sometimes if you were if you were a nerd. You'd get, you know, pants or get your books knocked over or that sort of stuff. That's not the way it is now. Because guess what? The smart uh, ones grow up to be your boss. <laughs> right? I think people realize this. Yeah. Like, now they have hey. a D&D &D club in high school. Our daughter's in D&D &D club in high school. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I thought, I thought you were saying when you were in high school, you had a No, 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 we were not that cool. No. See, that's really cool if you had that. That's like really cutting edge stuff. No, we were, we were still in hiding back then. Yeah. yeah so I went, to, I went to military high school. Uh, for the last couple of years of my school. And uh, <clears throat> it was pretty cool because the, the Padre, the Episcopalian uh, uh, priest who was at the school, uh, he ran a D&D &D club, so he ran, he liked D&D. Cool. So, so yeah, so there's no satanic panic scare or anything like that. And we were on that. Even in the military, only the nerds played D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but so you convince a lot of people to play because you're stuck in the middle of nowhere for a long period of time. You're like, check this out. like, okay, this is actually better than playing spades all the time or whatever. So that was, that was fun. But um, playing D&D is now cool, and why is that? I'm going to say, yeah, sure, celebrities play D&D, but who else plays D&D or play D&D? You know, very successful people like your Elon Musk and uh, who's got to be Microsoft, that guy, I can't remember. Bill Gates, Bill Gates. <laughs> he's a D&D player. Sorry, I forget, I forget names sometimes. It wouldn't surprise me if Zuckerberg was a gamer. I don't know how to claim that guy either, though. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I didn't know and what... Uh, I was kind of surprised to find out I liked heavy metal in the late 80s, right? That was cool. You know, Metallica, mm -hmm. right? That was 
and it's an old old school band now, like you know, mm-hmm. kind of like liking I don't know Fats Domino or something from when I was a kid, or <laughs> young person, right? I don't know, I mean, something like that. So my dad would listen to. Anyway, that was super cool though. All right, you saw the Stranger Things, I like Metallica too. Um, but as uh, Joe Manganiello and Kyle Newman are a couple of people I met through D and D, and they were directing the 50 uh, Years of D and D documentary. So Joe would text me a lot of times, and that's when they call. He'd be like, dude, you'll never believe it. I'm meeting with Kirk Hammett, and we're going to talk about when they, Metallica would play d and I was like, what? They were famous? <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. And I guess, you know, Cliff Burton taught, uh, taught them how to play D&D. He was, another, he was a couple years older than them, and so he would DM them. Uh, uh, Andrex was another heavy metal band that he played well known, but Scott Ian I think, was the lead singer, if I remember correctly. He, was, he, was, he played D&D as well. So... Um, and then, of course, tons of, of uh, people who've grown up to be um, writers, video game creators, um, and actors created, uh, played D&D, discovered their love of storytelling, and I would argue more importantly, got practice storytelling that gave them an advantage in the workplace to do that. I would also argue that Dungeons and Dragons gives each and every person who plays it advantages in life. You don't realize it. You don't realize you're building skills. You think you're having a good time. But you are learning how to be a persuasive speaker. You're learning how to lead in small groups. You're learning how to do problem solving, right? Plus a little bit of math, a little bit of reading, increasing your vocabulary. Uh, If you are not comfortable speaking in front of groups, some people will be nervous speaking in front of a group, right? I've always been speaking to groups, right? Maybe small groups. That's, if I can get up and talk to people, it's not that big of a deal, right? So you can overcome some of those fears. Let's say you're a quiet, shy person. Um, you can find out who you are a little bit more so. But if you have questions, there's lots of things you can question your personality. You might try out being more assertive, less assertive. Not sure, you know, how do I feel comfortable in my body? How do I identify my gender, right? Talk to a lot of people who started playing characters of an opposite gender, and it helped them identify if that was something that was more comfortable for them or not, right? So you get to rehearse, you get to practice skills, ideas, concepts. And because we're all working together in this cooperative environment, do people judge you for that in game? No, you're just playing your character, right? And you, you can take some of those skills and apply them to the real world. And I wondered why I was always put in leadership positions when I was in the military from first joining. Well, probably because I wasn't afraid to speak up, I would take charge. I do this sort of thing, right? So that serves you well. It would serve you well in corporate America, too. So, um, <clears throat> I think I probably segued a little bit past where I want to go. But anyway, it's not, I don't need to stick to a particular agenda. All right. <laughs> so that's why D&D, I think, is super cool, different, revolutionary, and how it is really in, insinuated itself through our culture and impacted indirectly. I'm going to say billions of people indirectly through videos, right? Certainly not through role-playing games. Tens of millions of people play role-playing games. Billions of people play video games. So, uh, and that's pretty amazing. Not too many people get to even indirectly influence that many people in some way. All right, so who was Gary Gygax? Who was this, who was this genius, right? Well, uh, <clears throat> not a real genius, but... Uh, You'd be the guy who'd tell me, do the dishes. <laughs> Why didn't you mow the lawn? So he was dead. Uh, but who was he? He was a voracious reader. He loved science fiction and fantasy. He would run, read tons of that stuff. Uh, later in life, he also enjoyed history. So he'd read a lot of history, uh, psychology, interesting ideas that would help him uh, formulate worlds and settings and, and games, that sort of thing. But he loved to read. He was a games aficionado. He would play anything from chess, and variants of chess, shogi, Chinese checkers, pinochle, bridge. His mom liked to play bridge, so he played a lot of bridge. Poker. Um, pretty much any kind of game that you could play. He loved railroad games. So if you play Rail Baron or Empire Builder or Rails West or any of those games, he loved that sort of stuff. Any kind of game. In fact, when we bought a house when I was a kid in Clinton, uh, Wisconsin had a circular driveway, so it's a little bit bigger circular driveway, and uh, big big yards. We need a riding lawnmower, <clears throat> so there was an old riding lawnmower that came with the house, and a new one. 
So we were getting them out, we were doing some mowing. We decided we wanted to see which one would go faster, so we made a game out racing around the circular driveway. So anything was a game for him. Uh, growing up, he was a rebel, kind of a black sheep. He dropped out of, uh, he skipped school a lot. He dropped out of high school at 16. Uh, everyone thought he was going to be a loser and a deadbeat. Uh, basically, school bored him, and he didn't like to follow what he thought were kind of pointless rules. He wanted to do his own thing. Um, he did uh, fall in love with gaming. I'm not sure exactly how he got introduced to war gaming. Uh, but in the 60s, he was an amateur game designer and would make rules variants to like games like Diplomacy. He created Alexander the Great. That was one of his, one of his games. So uh, he'd spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, he was a family man. He married my mom. I think they were both like 19. They were very young. Uh, they got married, moved to Chicago, uh, and uh, my dad worked for an insurance uh, company there, Fireman's Fund. And he was an insurance underwriter. So if you ever looked at the old Advanced Dungeons and Dragons uh, DMG, you'll see a lot of uh, tables and charts and stuff like that. Well, actuary tables, right? That's what it's so. And why did he have funny dice? Different probability curves, right? So it's not the same thing. So I think that influenced his game design as well. Uh, and he was a risk-taking visionary. He's a risk-taker. This, so he started a convention. He loved gaming and he wanted to have more gamers, right? Lake City was a small town. Even the surrounding area probably only had 100 gamers, something like that, right? Wasn't very many of them around. In the city of Lake Geneva, maybe there was a dozen people, if you were lucky, that played war games. So he was a member of the International Federation of War Gamers and uh, he loved the medieval period. So he started the Castles and Crusades Society. And uh, he just wanted more people, right? Because you do play by mail, do stuff like that. But imagine that, writing out your turns, putting it in the mail, waiting days and days for it to come back. Oh man, if my internet is slow, I get pissed off, right? Okay, so you use a very different mindset. So he wanted to get people together so you could actually play in real time. So he started a convention uh, in Lake Geneva, and since this was a federation, international federation of war gamers, he called it the Geneva Convention, <laughs> or the Gen Con, right? We started that in 1968. Still exists today, and it's pretty, a little bit bigger than 100 people, which was the first first one. I credit my mom with Gen Con to a certain extent, because in 1967, he had like a dozen gamers over to the house, and they stayed for like a weekend. She said, no, I have four children in the house, four kids, like small children. You keep waking them up. That's not happening again. Uh, so. Speaking of that, you know, like what was what was my family's situation in nineteen the early nineteen seventies? Well, my dad, like I said, he was a rebel, didn't like to follow the rules. So at work, he would invite a friend over in Chicago, in the office, and he would play a war game with him on the side while he was doing his work. <laughs> Guess what? His coworker, his name was Bruno, didn't care for that. He's like, hey, you should cut that out. He's like, hey, you should mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> so they were up for promotion. Guess who got the promotion? <laughs> Not my dad. <laughs> Guess what Bruno's first thing he did as a supervisor? He canned him. So my mom was pregnant with me in October. She was eight months pregnant. It was 1970. She had five, four children at that time, oh and I was her fifth one. And my dad had no job. So that was not good, right? Uh, so, <clears throat> mind if I check the time, I'd be rambling. All right, we're good. Uh, all right, so, 1970, October, my dad comes home. He brought a jug of Ernest and Julio Gallo wine with him home. So my mom knew something was wrong. My parents were poor. My dad didn't drink a lot of money. And supporting four kids, it's a lot, right? First one on the way. We had no car. My mom, you know, my mom did not own a car. My dad never got a driver's, driver's license. That's another story behind that one. Uh, and, uh, you know, we basically, my mom would garden and can food and help help us subsist, right? Even when my dad was working there. So they discussed it. My dad said, hey, look, I'm kind of blacklisted in this community. We have to move to like the East Coast for me to get a job. Or I can try writing. And she said, you know what? You've got a little bit of unemployment money. Why don't you go ahead and try that? So 
She's backed him on that one. And he started writing. But he wrote a book. I think his first book was called The Hornbow, a common manuscript once. He said, oh, no, don't touch that. That's <laughs> awful. <laughs> Never read it. It's years later, of course. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, he started going to try to be a writer at the workout. So he did some game design. But that wasn't going to meet it, right? Unemployment ran out. He went to his mom, asked for some help. She was very disappointed. She's like, this is the last move, son. Last one for you. It's like the shoe repair man, the guy who ran the shoe store, he died. He had a shoe repair set up in the back of his shop. His son doesn't want it. I'm going to buy that equipment for you and some lessons. And you're going to be a shoe repair man. So my dad was a cobbler in the early 70s, right? Not a lot of money in cobbling, right? No one's competing with the elves to take that word. <laughs> uh, so we were so poor that when we got on food stamps, we actually gained some weight and we could actually buy food. But we didn't want to do that. I was very proud. I think it was 75 when my parents did that. Um, probably a little early, 74. But anyway, so my dad has no money. Destitute, we're poor, hand-me-down clothes, only eat at mealtimes. We're all very skinny <laughs> as a family. Mm -hmm. um, but my dad did the same Gen Con. That's his, his big thing. He would work at, you know, doing repairing shoes. And then at night, he would write. Sit in his little den, right on his typewriter. Uh, <clears throat> so he meets a guy named uh, Dave Arneson at, at Gen Con, and they collaborate on some stuff you do, don't give up the ship or some other rule set. They, so they talk, they're friendly. Uh, and Dave likes gaming and designing gaming as well. So uh, at one point, he says, hey, I've got this idea. I basically created, took Dave Wesley's Bronstein idea, and I made it in a fantasy setting. So Bronstein was done, I think, in 68 or 69, where Dave Wesley, army officer as well, his major, he retired as major, uh, he <coughs> basically said, hey, instead of fighting armies, how about I just make this scenario in this fictional city, and you might be the military commander, you might be the mayor of the town, you might be the rebel leader in the town, you might be like the head of the merchant's guild or something like that. You all have these different like victory conditions. Uh, I'm the referee. And you're all trying to get to your conditions and you're going to talk to one another, right? And I'm going to resolve from what the information you give me what happens each turn. We're going to play so many turns, right? And figure it out. So that was a pretty revolutionary idea, right? Uh, so Dave Arneson took that and said, I'm going to take this idea and I'm going to put you, instead of you're going to play yourself, I'm going to transport you to a world where you're going to go explore like underground caves and dungeons. And okay, that's pretty cool. Didn't really have a rule set, didn't have statistics or any of that sort of stuff, but there was the idea, the concept of exploration. And if you were good at something, my understanding is he would say, Oh, you rolled high on this lifting up this rock and throwing it over somewhere. You rolled your 2d6 and you got a 12. You're really strong, you get a plus one on all your strength checks, right? So it's kind of like an ad hoc thing, but it would carry over. So that's improvement. So there's some real great concepts that came from Dave, both Dave, Dave Wesley and Dave uh, Arneson. So he talked to my dad and I said, this sounds pretty cool, show it to me. And so he came down in 72 uh, from Minnesota with a couple people and showed him the game. It was like a light bulb going off of my dad. He's like, whoa, this is super cool. He'd been working on Chainmail, which was uh, a miniatures combat uh, system, just kind of medieval combat, right? Where you'd use either small unit tactics or even man-to-man -man combat. Typically in a war game, one figure, one miniature figure represented multiple people, right? Just like in Rescue, 20 or pieces comes as an army, right? Just a similar kind of concept. Well, he boiled it down to man-to-man combat, right? And he added uh, Appendix F, fantasy. Or the fan or fantasy, fantasy, sorry, I'm drawing a blank. It's a fantasy supplement. I don't remember if it was in a particular thing. So it's a fantasy supplement. So you could take your historical miniatures game and you could insert a wizard throwing spells, or a troll, or a giant, or something like that. And that really was exciting people. So obviously, that was going on concurrently. When Dave Arneson said, hey, how about taking people down and exploring underground and running these creatures? I was like, oh, I could take Chainmail and apply it here, and we have, we have a whole game. That's going to be pretty cool. So he set, set about designing this game and came up with it in 773. And he started pitching it. So the biggest game company was Avalon Hill. So he pitched it to them. They're like, Gary, we know you. you know, we know you're a talented designer and stuff. You've done some work for us. But uh, come on, man. 
who's going to buy this? This is like a kid's game. We're a serious historical war game outfit. It's not going to fit in. But it's like, it could sell 10,000 copies. They're like, <laughs> no. So they passed. So he went to his friend Don Lowry, a guy on games. He ran out of his new garage, right? He's like, Gary, I can't take the risk. You know, this is, this is a big investment. I can't do that. Just sell 10,000 copies. Nope, can't do it, Gary. Sorry. So my dad was pretty brokenhearted, right? What's he going to do? He could barely feed his family, right? So his best friend, Don Kay, um, took out a loan against his life insurance policy. It was like $1,000, maybe $2,000. That was a lot of money back then, right? Well, pretty substantial. Maybe like 10 grand a day or something. And they printed the first, uh, first D&D book, right? And then it sold from there. And it did better and better and better. And before you know it, uh, we were able to buy a house. <laughs> and I knew well. we made it as a kid. When I went to the store, I said, Mom, can I have this name brand cereal? King Vitamin was the cereal. Can I have King Vitamin? And she's like, yes. I was like, what? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's a cereal. I don't know if they still have this. Do they have bags of cereal that are like yeah, generic? Yeah, multi yeah. That's, that's the crap we had to eat, like, yeah. you know, corn pops or whatever the hell you like, like generic snap pack pop, whatever that stuff is, pop, mm -hmm. and powdered milk and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, I was living large, living large, So, uh, you know, my dad basically put it all online, right? Did nothing. He put it all online and did that. So D&D happening uh, took a lot of, it was risk, a huge risk. You know, if, if I was in, the, in that position, would I put everything I had behind an idea that was untested, especially with a track record of being considered like a loser and a black sheep? So like people would like, people would make fun of my family. Like, oh, look at that family. They're like so poor and disciplined, having a bunch of children. They should really, you know, abortion wasn't legal. So like, they should really not do that. All right, <clears throat> so I just wanted to basically point all that was. It, this was not a for sure thing, right? It took, it took a lot of will. It took visionary, uh, someone who was a visionary to do that. Um, I think that's really probably one of the most important aspects that people don't know. Uh, it took a lot of personal courage uh, to do that. And would I do that same thing? Man, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. You, would you guys risk essentially like your, your fortune on something like that? Would your wives or husbands support you on taking that seven big risk? It's pretty cool. So I got my mom props for that. Um, she was she definitely stood by she stood by his side and supported. Me. And in fact, <coughs> she would nag him about not getting stuff done and make sure that got done on time. So she was good at that too. Um, and then what were what are the results? I kind of jumped the gun on that one. And look how it is throughout society. Look how the good that D and D brings. Right? I'm sure there's people in here who have overcome a personal adversity or a hard time through gaming and have leaned on that. I mean, is that true for anyone in here who's overcome like a learning disability or maybe parents that were difficult, divorced from parents, uh, parents who were sick, uh, maybe like terminal illnesses. Um, there's also some people who face, helped them face and find courage from things like uh, an abusive parent. Mm -hmm. Or a situation like that. So it's done a lot of good, and they've been, they've learned how to overcome those things and strong. Um, so besides just uh, making you a, making you a better, more successful person, sometimes it can help you through periods of time where you didn't think you could make it on your own, right? And that game, and that character, and that circle of friends helps carry you through. So I think the divergent from growing up guy gags, but I think that is a really positive aspect of gaming. It's why I have uh, really poured my heart and soul into being an advocate for D&D um, and the positive effects and why I try to promote it, especially amongst, not for everybody, all new players, but I think it's especially useful for young people. You know, I think it's really helpful me. So me, when I was growing up, I played D&D since I was four. So played D&D at four. It's pretty hard, right? I think that's generous to say. But I said table. I had my dice and I had pencil. I don't think I could read or write very well. Uh, but my dad would, I'd say, why are we doing this? And it was basically storytelling, right? I'd get to shake the dice and he'd tell me what happened, right? So that was pretty cool. Uh, the games that I played, the first game I played in, uh, I played a, a ranger in 
in a town called Hummel, uh, probably 1975. And uh, this was a very early precursor of T1 Village of Hummel, part of the elemental evil, uh, elemental evil cycle. So back in the day, D&D has evolved over time. So back in the day, it was more tactical and it was more deadly, right? So you'd have your player characters, right? And when you go into a dungeon or go, go explore an adventure, oftentimes you'd hire men-at-arms, right? Basically, get war dogs, men-at-arms, stuff like that. So I was a man-at-arms they hired, but I was really working for the druid in the town who was making sure that these guys were on the up and up and not <laughs> secretly working for the bad guys, right? So that was my mission, that's what my dad told me behind the scenes. So um, later on, of course, as we adventured, I was like, oh yeah, these are good guys. I told them who I was, and I joined the party formally and went on adventures through um, lots of interesting things throughout the world of Greyhawk, including uh, the Giant series. Have you ever, ever played that? Do people still play that? Is that still something you know? Giant series? G1? Giants of Giants, yeah. G1, G2, G3. So, uh, studying of the Hill Giant Chief, Glacial Rift of the Frost Giant Girl, and, uh-oh. Something the Fire Giant King. What is it called, the Fire Giant King? No? Going back a lot of years. Seven, these guys. But they've been around for a while. They're classics. Those are good ones. So that and then uh, we descended and chased kind of the bad guys and the Fire Giants down underground into some tunnels. We came up against these really weird-looking, kind of elvish-looking guys, but they had real deep black skin and white hair and stuff. So the drow, those are brand new. Yeah. Loth, the Demon Queen Spiders. So... All that. That was a lot of fun. <coughs> and <laughs> this, this was the worst part. See, so we defeated the, you know, we won, we defeated the drow. The drow were loaded with magic items, right? Loaded with all this cool magic. Amazing. I was, I was like, yes, I'm taking this clothes with magic items. I had it all. I was like, this is great. Then, of course, we went up into the sunlight, and what happened? It all turned slow. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, right, I got my dad back for that one. <laughs> so he played, I've created Velocity Gaxmore many years later, 2000 or so, and he would play Tetris. And he was, fought some creature, it was like a giant, and uh, it was able to breathe acid, right? He's like, how did a giant breathe acid? He's like, he's like, all right, they killed it. He's like, yes, and it beat him up quite a bit. And he's like, searching this giant, I was like, nope, you don't have any items on it? He's like, oh, how was it breathing? I was like, well, it does have like a black dragon tattoo on it. And he was like, really? It's a magic tattoo that I can't do. I was like, yeah, that's it. And he's like, that's a cheer cheap GF. Yes. How does that feel? Feel the burn. It's all right. So, yeah. But basically, you know, me playing D&D, sure. I'd say the differences for me were the games that I played got published. Right? I was playtesting stuff that other people got to play, but it was still just my dad's home campaign for the most part, right? The creep, uh, did anyone here ever make up their own spells in their game? Okay. Anyone make up, write up monsters on their own? Just like, oh, right? Yeah, we're looking at monsters. Um, we drew maybe like castles and made NPCs and all that stuff. Okay. So I did a lot of that stuff too. Guess what? I had a conduit to the guy who was publishing stuff, right? So I was just doing a lot of stuff that you guys were doing already, right? Mine was, was a little bit more likely to, to see publication, right? And the people I was playing with would have to be game designers and things like that. But I still went home, opened up the Monster Manual on page to it, and would dream about stuff, right? I'd get in the back of the DMG and look at construction costs and be building a keep and figuring out how much gold do I need to get, right? So in that sense, I think we share. As different as some of the things were, and that I got to grow up from a much younger age, and that I got to meet some pretty cool people and was participating in a creative process uh, most of my life, it wasn't radically different than what I think many of you were doing, maybe just at 10 or 12 as opposed to from a younger age. I was very fortunate uh, that I got to be inculcated in that experience um, and benefit from it. So was it that much different growing up in my household? No, I don't think so. I think we share a lot. And I think that's also part of what makes this community good and why we feel comfortable around each other right I mean I've heard people talk to me and, and, exp and express why they love Gary Khan, right for an example uh, they love Gary Khan because they said it's like a family reunion 
but it's with the family that I get to pick, my gamer family, right? <laughs> and it's close-knit, and everybody's there shares a lot of the same interests, right? And we understand each other, and we can talk nerd to each other, and people get it, right? Isn't that kind of why we come to conventions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Find like-minded people, enjoy that, to be able to share our nerdy peculiarities uh, and, 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 and stuff that we love with others who will appreciate it, right? So that's what it's about. So I'm not that much different than the rest of you guys. I just had a little bit, uh, maybe just a little bit more concentration of it. But I think we all share a lot of that together. So uh, that's a conclusion I came to uh, when I looked at it. Um, we have a few minutes left, and think probably. Actually, so we have, oh, like, actually, we're a little bit over time. Oh, are we over? Oh, yeah, I thought it was over, man. I'm no, 350. I, Sorry. I apologize. Uh, I would have shut up a little bit earlier. <laughs> Does anyone have any burning questions? They gotta know. Yes. As a father, how do I support my daughter who does this? And I don't even know what a wizard is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, eight-year Bears fan, so that's pretty good. I mean, I was a teenager in the '80s, Mm -hmm. and I missed it. I was in my 20s and my, you know, the 90s, and I just missed everything because I was a jock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I played professional sports and I was yeah. just not in this and now I have a 15 year old daughter that's not going to do this and then I don't know what to do. I'm going to take a guess and say that your daughter probably enjoys spending time with you and that she's really excited that you're here and if you listen to her tell you what about it and try to understand it, maybe that that would be helpful and she'd feel really like you're taking interest in part of her life and she, that would be very exciting for her. And if you need a little extra credit, there's YouTube videos that'll talk to you and explain what Dungeons & Dragons is and how to play. And so you could watch those and they'll break it down pretty simply and it's just some that are very easy to digest and maybe like five and 10 minute chunks that you could just watch here and there and help you understand. And so when she says something you don't get, maybe they'll help kind of familiarize you with the, with the topic. But I think just the fact that you're here and that you're willing is a giant step, so I applaud that. Thank you. I'll, I'll take one more question if you won't beat me up. Yeah, right. What was your impression that the idea was about the gateway to demonic? Preposterous. Preposterous. Because my dad's like, come on, if I could throw spells, I would um, not publish them. I would not publish them. He said, I would see no one's trying to bump open and look at uh, spell components for a gust of wind as a legume. I you know, and shocking grass is like rabbit's fur in a glass rod, right? So it's humorous. Uh, what wasn't humorous is the death threats that we got as a family from wackos who thought that it was from the death. So, um, but it was great also for public, uh, popularity to really get the word out there. So, all right, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.